Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I know so well that there are million plus podcasts that you could choose from and you've picked this one. So whether it's your first time listening to Making Waves at Sea Level or whether you're a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. The one thing I try to do every single episode is bring you a clever interview, some interesting information and ideas that'll help you make waves no matter what your job is in business, whether you own the company or you work for somebody else. Today, we're going to have a lot of fun on this episode. However, before we get started, I want to kind of plug another podcast. I know you're thinking, Tom, why would you ever plug another podcast? Because I'm the host of that one too. So in January 2021, I partnered with to launch Speakernomics, the new podcast from the National Speakers Association. I'll tell you what, the National Speakers Association has a lot of members and a lot of those members have podcasts. And so I am totally honored that they picked me to help them create this new show. So if you work in the speaking industry, meaning that you're a professional speaker or a master of ceremonies, maybe you're a trainer or a facilitator or you use the spoken word in other ways to make money, such as podcasting or coaching. I think you should check out Speakernomics because in every episode, you're going to get two tips right up front on how you can make more money and succeed in the business of speaking. So check out Speakernomics wherever you get your podcast love. So today, I am going to interview uh, my new friend, John Kazarian. Hopefully, I got that pretty close to right. And John is the CEO and founder of Excel Events. Now, what he does is he has created a company that is absolutely making waves in the events world. It is a fast-growing event platform. And we all know what's happened in the last year. The world of virtual events has just exploded. And uh, this is bigger than just using Zoom. You can't always use Zoom for everything that you do. Sometimes you need to have the right platform that has better bells and whistles that are going to help you succeed. And guess what? That is exactly what John has done. Now, he started this company before the pandemic, but like the best entrepreneurs, the people who are really making waves, he made some pivots back in March as soon as this happened. And he has grown from 15 employees to now having 84 employees, and he's all self-funded. So I want to hear his story, and I know you do too. John, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thanks for having me on. Did I get your last name right? Was I close? It's Kazarian, but Kazarian. we'll take it. I made it Kazarian, damn it. So John Kazarian, thank you so much for being here. Uh, before we dive in and sort of unpack this, this whole world of Excel events, can you do me a favor and, and back up before Excel events... What did you do? How did you sort of get started in the world of business? Yeah. So the uh, story starts in, in 2014. And at the time, I, I uh, found out that my, my cousin, at the age of 17, got diagnosed with cancer and wanted to do something for her. Thought about running the marathon, um, but realized I could raise a hell of a lot more money hosting a fundraiser instead. So went to the aquarium here in Boston and put my credit card down. I was 24 at the time, had to sell 185 tickets to break even and be able to pay that bill. And we ended up bringing in 840 people for that first event. 
and raised about 65 grand for Dana Farber. But going into that event, we realized that there just there weren't any affordable solutions for us to run the auction in the raffle. So worked with a friend and built out this uh, this text message based system, and we got great feedback from the attendees and the organization we put the event on for and decided to take that and run with that and started building a company around that kind of nights and weekends. I was, I was working in, uh, in software sales at the time and we started to get more traction. And then as we did that, we started to move more into the ticketing space and then more into the for-profit ticketing space. So conferences, uh, concerts, festivals, trade shows and whatnot. Uh, and then, and then February and March of 2020 came and our revenues, well, went down and then essentially yeah. negative with refunding fees. Yeah, you're talking to a guy who made all of his income for the most part as a professional speaker at live events. So I call March 13th the day my business died. So I, I fully understand what happened a year ago in, in, in that segment in time. So what happened to the company when that happened? What happened with you? I know you had a co-founder at one point. Uh, what 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 was the the vibe in the company back in February and March of last year? Yeah, so... Um, so my co-founder, uh, who's a good friend of mine, grew up together. Uh, he decided he wanted to pursue other opportunities about, uh, I guess, about two years ago now. Still a really good friend of mine. We talk once a week. And um, from that point, then you know, it became much more my sole focus. And uh, that's a little bit different than the story that happened in March. So March, you know, obviously, with all of the refunds and everything else going on, we looked at where we were at. And we were, frankly, very much in the hole for that month. Um, and at that time, the options were either to buckle down on the fundraising side of our business or to pivot. And at the bottom of the market, convinced my dad to invest 75K out of his retirement. And we took that and ran with it and grew the business quite a bit. Um, uh, I won't, I won't uh, explicitly state revenue numbers now, but I'll say that uh, within six months, we were, we were doing monthly revenue in the seven figures. So things grew very, very fast. And... Um, and as a result of that, we've been able to grow the team and continue to provide more value and uh, expand the platform for our customers. Nice. So, you know, facing facing the demise of everything in February and March and then, you know, getting a little cash infusion and, and pivoting and then growing as much as you did. That's exactly what this show's about. Right. I call it making waves at sea level. Now, this world of event platforms and, and that can be defined in so many different ways. This world of event platforms has exploded exploded in the last year, many of which existed before and, and had to just grow up really fast. Some have actually been started since May of last year and are, are out there booming. So how is your company making waves in this area and what exactly do you provide and offer and to whom? Yeah. So we focus on larger scale events. The, the space itself, there's a, a couple of different categories to it. You know, on one hand, you've got the ticketing platforms that have really just gated a YouTube live or a, a Zoom uh, stream. Then you also have the platforms that have like this 3D reality experience, which, well, that's that's a topic in itself. But where we fall is the platforms that are designed to bring people together, to allow them to absorb content and interact with the speakers, but also to interact with the entire audience. And when you think about what an event is, it's an opportunity for people to come together, to learn together, to network, to, to broaden their horizons and their relationships. and that is all encompassing of what we focus on as a platform. And it also means bringing in your sponsors, your exhibitors, the people who are often funding these events so that they can express their brand and interact with potential buyers. 
So that's a that's something that comes up a lot, and that is how do you give sponsors value? So what are you doing with the sponsors yeah. so that because I've been to several events where they have like these virtual trade shows and nobody goes, and then when you go, it's lame. It's like a little half a web page with someone's little photo on it. It's kind of dumb. What are you doing to give sponsors real visibility? Well, if you were at a trade show and somebody set up a little booth and nobody was there, it would be dumb too, right? It's all about, for the virtual experience, it's for a sponsor, it's what they make of it. If you, you got to put a person there. It has to be human. Uh, nobody wants to go look at another microsite that's half-baked. The, the event exhibitors that we see have the most success are the ones that go into it with that mentality that they want to collect leads. They want to build their, their brand reputation and offer guidance and advice to potential buyers. So we make that super accessible to them. These booths, they have live video in them and you're sitting there, maybe it's a product demo. Maybe you've got people who are coming in kind of eavesdropping on a conversation you might be having with somebody else. I mean, I know I've walked around exhibits and listened to conversations and I didn't necessarily want to get hooked in with that, with that uh, exhibitor, but you can learn from that. And if you're ready, then you can go and ask the question yourself. So what's been the biggest challenge going from 14 employees or 15 employees to 84 employees in the course of, you know, eight or nine months in the middle of a global pandemic? Yeah. Um, the thing I thought would be the most challenging ended up being the thing I'm the most proud of. And that's the culture that we've built as a company, especially given that we're fully remote. The you know, scaling at that rate, it's it's frankly really hard to make sure that you've got great people who want to learn from each other make each other better and are there to support each other. And we've just been so fortunate that, um, you know, from day one, that's what we built and that's what we've continued to grow. So I know that's not really answering your question, but uh, that's what I thought would have been the most biggest so, challenge. So that's what you thought was going to be the biggest challenge. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest challenge? Um, events are inherently unique, right? They all have their own spins and they're about creating experiences. And that's why people attend events. It's new experiences. And when you're thinking about doing that virtually and when every event organizer, event professional wants to create an experience in their own way, and these are some of the most creative people in the world, it's making sure that the platform can do that and provide them those opportunities to express themselves creatively and create those experiences for their attendees and their, and their sponsors. So you bring up an interesting point, and that is, number one, event planners are, the good ones, are extremely creative. There's a lot of them out there who just recycle their agenda every year and plug different speakers in. But the best event planners, they really are creatives in the sense of an artist. Right. So, you know, but there's in the in the world of physical events, in-person events, you know, there's certain parameters that they have to work within. I mean, you can't just have an event out in a field unless you're having Coachella or Burning Man. You're going to be in a ballroom at a hotel. You know, there's certain parameters they have to work around. You have to have bathroom excess and stuff like that. When we go into the virtual world. I have seen virtual events be everything from just a talking head over PowerPoint for an hour in sort of a traditional webinar situation to multiple three days events on events where you're having social, you're having learning, you're having breakout rooms, you're having networking and, and you know, you're having sponsor interactivity. So everything in between. So where do you fall into that? Yeah, we're much more on the latter side of that. The average event on the platform is two days. Um, some of them are far longer than that. Some of the events are configured so that it's four hours every Tuesday for a month. But 
it's, it's bringing all of that together and having all of the different pieces. So you might have a three-day event and the first day of the event is VIP experiences. And that VIP experience might mean that you're actually sending a package to those 100 or 200 VIPs to their house. And there's some interactive component that maybe transpires throughout the day. Maybe there are, um, you know, in this box, for example, that you ship to somebody, maybe there's an envelope and it's timestamped and every hour this entire community comes together and they open it. And there's something in there that they're allowing them to share an experience, right? And they can get as creative as, you know, that's a starting point, but they can get incredibly creative with these ideas that allow people to share an experience. And that is really what events are about. So it's interesting that, I mean, that I love that idea of everybody having an envelope and you open certain envelopes at certain times during the conference. I haven't seen that, but I'm, I, I wrote that down because that's actually something that I, I could use as an MC because that's kind of an interesting a little take. Some of the most interesting things I've seen is uh, the National Speakers Association, which I'm a super active member of, in addition to hosting their their podcast now, uh, last year came to me and my friend Eliz Green. She and I host a video program called the Webinar Talk Show. And our idea is to make more conferences more like talk shows. So more like watching Kelly and Ryan in the morning than just that talking head over PowerPoint. And what they did, they had to cancel their in-person event that's held every summer. It's called Influence. And they retained their main stage speakers over the three days, but in like shorter day type functions. But they had scheduled and they had curated the event planner, the event organizers this year had curated what I would say, having been a 12 plus year member, the best set of content I had seen for influence in a long time. And everybody felt really bad that there were 25 breakout sessions. What were you going to do with those? So they did something interesting. They ran it every Monday and Thursday for 13 weeks uh, from May all the way through July culminating with the conference the first of August. So twice a week, they had their breakout concurrence standalone on Monday, another one on Tuesday. But then what they did to have continuity is they had Eliz and I host it like a talk show. So sometimes, and we had five different formats. You could do a long speech, short question and answer. You could do a short speech, long Q&A. You could do just a fireside chat. Uh, we did some that used video and then unpacking that video so there was a lot of different ways so every time you logged in there was continuity in the hosts but the actual format of those were under five different formats and we didn't ever run two back to back so it was always very different so i thought that was wasn't my idea i got to be involved with it but i thought it was super creative and another thing was just an hour-long function that uh, my wife runs an association and one of her board members hosted a cheese tasting that included wine And there's a cheese shop in Austin, Texas called Antonelli's. And it is a legendary nationally recognized cheese shop. And what Antonelli's did was they would package up a plate and the plate was round. And so it was like a clock. And then the cheesemonger led the discussion and it was like, okay, turn your plate. So the yellow cheese is at 12 o'clock. And then we worked our way around the plate like you would around a clock with cheese and chocolate and some uh, pepperonis and stuff like that. And then it was paired with a wine and everybody had had that sent to their house. And that was one of the most fun. That was early on in the pandemic before you'd seen a lot of this creativity. And I thought, cheers to that client and to Antonelli's for doing that one. Cause that was pretty cool to be a participant. That's, that's perfect. You, you raised uh, two other, two other ideas I want to touch on. So one of this concept of like an event doesn't just have to be a point in time now, right? We're not asking people to fly across the country anymore. We're not booking vendors six months in advance and the venue six months in advance. Now, yeah, you know, for 
hopefully soon, we'll be able to get back in person and host hybrid events. And we'll have that big experience. And maybe that's once a year. But being able to take that experience and those relationships that you're building and then pairing on a monthly or, or even weekly series of events after bringing people back together, deepening the relationship, sharing additional content, anything along those lines where you can bring people back together, that is how companies are going to win. Like if you look at any of the recent IPOs, Snowflake's a great example. One of the reasons that that company is as valuable as it is, is because the community they have built is so passionate. And events are the best way to build that community. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to add in, in uh, going back to the idea of the talk show, we've seen some of the most uh, successful exhibits we've seen virtually. They have had people who are throughout the day interviewing each of the exhibitors. And this is a live stream. Maybe it's a five minute, 15 minute segment. And in between sessions on the main stage, the attendees can either spend their time networking through the platform or they can bump over and they can either browse the booths on their own or they can sit there and watch these interviews that are happening in real time. And, and that's what Eliz and I created. We actually created it seven years ago under the name The Conference Talk Show. Uh, and if somebody wants to check that out, you can go to conferencetalkshow.com. Uh, and then we created this this pandemic version called The Webinar Talk Show. And you can check that out at webinartalkshow.com. But the original plan was we would interview sponsors for that at-home audience of a hybrid event because one of the problems with virtual events and hybrid events is getting the sponsors in front of the people in a way that's not just them standing there going, hi, I'm John from Excel Events. And Excel Events is really cool because I found it, you know, everybody snoozes out and it's a pitch fest. So what's great about an interview, if you have a very seasoned and qualified interviewer, is it becomes more like watching Kelly and Ryan or The View or Rest His Soul, Larry King or Oprah, people who are really good at interviewing, get people to open their soul and not just do a pitch. So uh, I think that that's one of the smartest things people can do in events. We call it the interview format. And I think I'm glad to see that you're seeing that be successful because that's what we think. Oh, 100 percent. And if you as an event organizer are thinking, well, you know, it's going to cost money to do this. <laughs> what you got to be thinking about is, well, actually this is an opportunity to upsell all of my exhibitors, right? They can buy that five minute slot, the 15 minute slot, the half an hour feature, whatever it might be. And trust me, it is gonna be, it's, it's gonna far pay for itself. I work Not to mention the fact that they can repurpose that content and use it in their own marketing efforts after the fact. You and I are like cut from the same cloth. I was just gonna say, I worked for one association and we did pre-interviews leading up to the conference yep. with sponsors that they were the higher sponsor. The higher sponsors got an interview with me. We just did it by Zoom. We didn't do much editing. It was just a natural like seven minute little talk, five minute talk. And it went out embedded into the emails promoting the event in the weeks leading up. So for weeks leading up, every email had one of the top three sponsors in that. But we structured the interview so it wasn't just about the conference. We mentioned it. But the interview could stand alone, and two of those three sponsors ended up putting it like front on their website. Uh, they edited out the part about the uh, the conference, and it was a standalone four minute interview about their company. And it was like, oh, so I'm trying to get all my clients to do that, and we can do these interviews pre, during, or post the event, and it's a great way to connect with people. So you've got me all fired up here, John. Absolutely. I mean, that's it, though. It's it's. All of this content can be repurposed. It's worth putting in that extra effort to really put together great content, polished content, bring in the right speakers, get the right personalities there. It has, it has evergreen effects for your business. And 
these events, yes, they're about the event, but the event is about the event because of the content. So put the effort in there. It, it pays dividends. One of the big things, because part of my business has always been being a master of ceremonies, and I've pivoted that into the virtual world, big yeah. t- big talk amongst the people who know events and certainly amongst people who work as MCs. Having a professional MC with certain skills, you might want an entertainer, you might want an expert interviewer. There's lots of different things that make up the background of an MC, but having a professional doing it rather than Bobby from marketing or one of your board members, it's way more important in this virtual and hybrid world than it even was when we were in person. Although I think a professional MC always added a stint of of a better conference, but in the virtual world, you know, it's hard work. I when I when I would be an MC at a live event, if I interviewed you and said, "Now we're going to have John, our keynote speaker." Yay, and everybody applauds, and you're going to talk for an hour. As the MC, I get to go back to the green room backstage. I kind of have an hour to check email, to plan my next introduction, run to the bathroom. In a virtual setting, I can't because I never once as the MC had a speaker vanish on the stage, but I've hosted two events where the keynote speaker lost internet in their home and all of a sudden in the middle of a key point, they're gone and I have to jump in. And in one case, it was a marketing conference. I have a marketing background. I just kind of kept reiterating what he had talked about and I understood it enough. He reappeared. I reintroduced him and he kept going. The other one was a technical conference where I knew nothing about the technology. It wasn't my background. So I had to jump in and bring my own content about, you know, how do we connect in a, in a world where we're now digital? And I ended up doing like a 20 minute, 15 minute little mini keynote. And, you know, the, the event organizer was like, what would we have done without you? And I'm like, that's why you hire a professional. So what are you seeing? Yeah. So, I mean, in addition to being able to step in and fill that gap, the other big piece is the cohesion it brings to the entire event experience. We um, one event that I'm thinking of from a, from a while ago. They hired a, a comedian, like a Comedy Central comedian, a class comedian, and he was that person. He was the MC throughout the day, and it was hysterical. And he ripped on the CEOs and the and the C-suite of this company, and it was it was terrific. But we so we have this this Facebook uh, community called Event Talk, and it, it's not about Excel events. It's just an opportunity for event professionals to come together and share ideas. And this morning, somebody had posted how they had hosted four virtual events uh, since the pandemic. And every one of them, they hired a professional comedian. And it was awesome. I mean, it's just like whether it's it's the MC or a comedian or anything else, it gives you something else to look forward after that session to see what's coming next. And it creates excitement and, and like a FOMO that just keeps people coming back throughout the day. Yeah, I emceed a thing for a group called SPIN, the Senior Planners International Network. It's for meeting planners who've been in the business over 10 years. And they did a social event at night and they hired a drag queen and who was a singer and they did drag queen bingo. And it was one of the most amazing online events that you could ever imagine. And it's just because they were willing to say, let's step out of the box and have fun, which I think you have to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, John, I'm not letting you go yet. We've got more questions. But first, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, 
and interviewing people who are making waves in their industry like John Kazarian. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, because everybody's starting a podcast in this pandemic, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, John, I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing in business right now? The coolest thing that we're doing is bringing people together when everybody's stuck at home. It's um, yeah, at the end of the day, the opportunity to continue to allow people to create experiences is that's what keeps us going every day. And that's what keeps the entire team going. Most of the people on our team are out of the event industry, whether it's event tech or on site. They get it. They get the experience creating side of things and they get bringing people together. And uh, and, and that's just so much fun to, to do. So, John, what do you think the future of events is? Yeah. So the way that you've seen platforms like an intercom or a drift basically define this conversational marketing category over the past couple of years or a HubSpot has done with content marketing, the pandemic has defined virtual events as a new category in the marketing tech stack. And historically, event professionals have been looked at as a cost center in an organization, right? It's been really hard for them to prove their value to the CMO, who then has to explain it to the CFO on why they're spending all of this money and then no data to, to, to prove the result. All of a sudden, they have more data than anybody else, and the events cost a fraction to host. So they're becoming some of the most interesting people in an organization. Over the next 10 years, I think the event professionals are really going to be the ones who, who win here as there's this convergence between growth marketing and event marketing. So going back to what I think the event landscape is going to look like, it's going to be this combination of hybrid experiences. I don't know when we're going to get there, hopefully soon, but that is going to be a part of the component. And then the other part of the component is this opportunity to reach so much wider of an audience and host these ongoing series of virtual events in a way that allows you to build relationships and, and uh, bring people together. So I mentioned earlier that seven years ago, my friend Eliz and I started the idea of this conference talk show because we thought hybrid events were going to explode. And they A, didn't. And B, all they did when they did them was just broadcast the main stage. They didn't really care about the, the experience of the at-home audience because the event was focused on the live in-person thing and they would just stream it. They certainly didn't want to pay for two really clever, entertaining MCs like Eliz and I to create that experience for the people at home. Now, and, but I always combine it to like the NFL. There's a different team of people who plan the experience for the people in the stadium than plan the television and radio broadcast experience. There's, there's different teams who do this. So what do you think now that we've been through a year of virtual and everybody keeps talking about this magical word of hybrid, what do you think hybrid means in 2021, 2022? Yeah. So when I think about a virtual event, it's, it's, not just the content, it's the people and the networking opportunities. When I think about attending an event in person 2021 or 2022, if I'm going to get on a plane, if I'm going to travel, if I'm going to expose myself to, to, to COVID, um, I'm not doing that to then go and network with people who are at home. I could have stayed home to do that. So when it comes to the networking component of things, I don't think in the immediate term, we're gonna see much of networking from in-person events with the people attending virtually, but certainly that content is going to come together. So whether or not you're at a main stage session or a breakout session and you're watching at home or in the audience, you're going to be able to interact with people on your device, chat with them, answer Q&A or 
ask questions, answer polls, whatever else it might be, or pipe yourself in and be on a second screen in the venue and ask your question so everybody in the audience can see you and the speaker can see you and respond. It's, it's going to be the, the meshing of content in the first iteration of this. The other component is the meetings that you have, right? So you could go to a venue, an event with 5,000 people, and you may have the opportunity to meet 10, 15, 20 of them, right? How do you know who's worth spending your time on? Today, thank you, frankly, to the dating apps, people are so much more comfortable with the idea of allowing technology to help them make introductions. And we're going to start to see much more of that in the future with these, um, with these hybrid events. Awesome. So my last question for you is when you, when you look out at the world of business, not just the events business, but when you look out at the yeah. world of business, who do you admire? Who do you think, wow, she or he? They shake things up. They make waves. I admire that. I mean, it's it's such a cliche answer, but you got to give it to Elon Musk, right? <laughs> number number one and 630 plus episodes of the show. Number one answer, Elon Musk. He's got five completely different companies. I can't think of, uh, you know, of anyone else who's done something that wide. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. So I actually have one more question for you because I sit on the opposite end of the event professional world because I think speakers are event professionals. We don't get the same cred that the uh, hoteliers and the caterers and the event planners get, but, but events need speakers, whether they're professional or industry experts, they're there. So I see it from the speaker lens. You see it from the platform lens and there's lots of lenses in this business. What do you think speakers need to know going into this now virtual and hybrid world? What's different for the person who's sharing the content? Yeah, well, I'm sure you've seen this. It's um, it's often that when you're presenting, when you're sharing content, you can read the room, right? And you can use that feedback to determine how you want to act. And now you don't have that same level of feedback. That's changing and technology is going to make that better and easier in the future. And there's things that we're working on to assist with that. But you have to go in there with all of that personality that you have and be able to share that. You need to be able to set expectations with the event organizers and how you're going to communicate with them and make yourself accessible. And you have to have a backup plan because, you know, we saw it this week with um, with the Fios outage. You have to be ready for anything. And uh, if you go into it with all of the planning done and ready to go, you're going to create a wonderful experience for those attendees and there's a huge network effect in events. There's a lot of people in the audience that you can get in front of, and they're going to call you back for that. Nice. So I have presented on, I think, I was trying to count while you were talking. I've presented on, I think, 12 different platforms since mm-hmm. March. Uh, lots of Zoom, uh, you know, lots of uh, Teams, uh, lots of other things. Uh, if someone wants to find out more about Excel events and your platform, how do they find you? Yeah, you can find us on the web, excelevents.com. Uh, we're all over LinkedIn and Facebook too. Uh, even if you don't want to find us, but you want to find other professionals in the industry, check out the Event Talk Facebook group, which is under the Excel Events uh, company on, on Facebook. There's a lot of really interesting resources in there and other people who are talking about everything that we talked about today. That, that's awesome. I'm so glad that, that we got introduced. My my friend, uh, Justin Shank, over at the Growth Now Movement podcast and events uh, introduced us. And it took us a while to hook up and do this interview. But I'm really glad we did because, uh, first of all, uh, I agree with everything you're saying. Second of all, you inspired me with a couple of ideas for me. And uh, that's always a bonus. I'm sure you inspired the audience with even more. So, John, thanks for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. 
I say it every show, but but it's so true. If it wasn't for people listening, why would we do this? I mean, John and I could just have a phone call. I will tell you what. I didn't expect this podcast to last six and a half years and over 630 episodes, but I'm glad it has because it continues to expose me to amazing people across industry lines who are making waves in their industry. Uh, If you like the show, do me a favor. Go tell a friend. Uh, The number one reason people tell me they listen to this podcast is because their friend, their boss, their mother, their neighbor, somebody told them about it. Like all other podcasters, I am going to say, go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast love. Leave one of those you know, fancy reviews saying you like the show, but really go tell a friend. Now, in the meantime, we're back every couple of days with interviews with people just as cool as John. And you're thinking, what? How will you find somebody as cool as John? But I will. Uh, but here's the thing. In the meantime, go out there, flex your business muscles. Make sure your career ladder is against the correct wall. And while you're at it, have fun along the way. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.